0: I think over the years the, the love for money kind of like diminished so previously when I first graduate you know it's like uh, we need to be a millionaire by 30 years old so I need to take risk I need to go and look for all those uh, very high-risk uh, investment products but uh, over time uh, I have a few life and death experience uh, over the years so I nearly died in my late 20s so that kind of changed my mindset about money
1: The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast and this YouTube channel are solely the views of the individuals involved. It does not reflect the views of their organizations, employers, and employees' past, present, and future. Like this show? Then rate it 5 stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast by creatives at work. It is produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Wenchong and co-hosted by Yen Ling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim and edited by Ray Eng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. So far, we've had a few episodes where we talked about the psychology of money. We talked about what people do with it, how people behave with it. So I think it's quite fitting today that our guest actually has unpacked all of this information into games.
2: Yeah, and it's board games too. It's really old school.
1: But you know what? As this show says, it's cool to be uncool. So, Capital Gain Studio is our guest today. Why not introduce yourself? I uh,
0: I wouldn't say that it's uncool. Uh, right now, Wargames is one of the coolest thing around in the Western world right now. I mean, haven't reached Asia, but. Well, uh, what that's what we do. Uh, I'm Zio from Capital Game Studio. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of this uh, game publishing company. We've been around since uh, two thousand and fifteen. Uh, in fact, before that, we had another company, but it's not called Camper Game Studio. But that was the predecessor of this company. Uh, so uh, for now, we publish uh, a couple of uh, titles. We publish financial distribution board games that uh, I think we'll talk about a bit more over that over here later and then we also have this brand called Cat Games so that is uh, designed for family crowd so you can see them being sold in NTUC, 7-Eleven, in all the board games cafe. so those games are you just have fun and yeah just a uh, pure bonding. and then we also have a uh, distribution that we help Singaporean designers to distribute their games in Singapore overseas so i guess that's what we do in general.
1: Actually since you mentioned it can you break down your name how did it come about, like, CEO? Is, is that really your name? Uh,
0: okay, uh, it came from astrolog... Uh, not astrology, it's numerology, actually. So what happened after I graduated? You know, uh, we have the feng shui, the ba zhi in Chinese, whereby uh, your parents will help you look at your day of birth to pick your name for you, the Chinese name, how many strokes, uh, what kind of strokes. So English has an English equivalent whereby you go through numerology. So every alphabet has a number. Then they will try to look at that hum- number to see whether it harmonizes or not. So I kind of like, uh, after university, I was like, okay, I need to have a cool English name to be cool so that I can attract girls. So I went over to <laughs> to, 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 to just numerologists and they said, you know, give me a few cool names that, you know, uh, attract good wealth, millionaire uh, by 30 years old and have a pretty wife, you know, that kind of things. So this name kind of popped up, uh, he, he gave me a few, and the name kind of popped up. I said, oh no, Zill, I thought, I thought yeah, quite cool, uh, I think I can get my Gmail out of it, and nobody will fight me with it, and I, I went along with it, and that's how I ended up with IncomZill.
2: <laughs> and the legend was born. <laughs> First off, how did you even get into board games? It's not something that you hear very often. I mean, we play it, but how does one get into actually creating board games or table games?
0: uh well i'll say that it is by accident as how a lot of entrepreneurship comes about so uh what happened was that uh previously uh, i'm actually more of a stage speaker and a trainer so i was like doing financial literacy training uh so i was giving the usual boring talk on powerpoint thing. so i'm thinking that you know how can i engage the crowd better and then the opportunity came about is that in Malaysia, the Stock Exchange of Malaysia wanted to create a board game to introduce to all the investment clubs in Malaysia. So I remember that that was like in 2012-2013 when a lot of the Malaysian uh, university doesn't have investment club. So the Stock Exchange of Malaysia wanted to help all these universities around Malaysia to set up an investment club. So uh, we came along to set up a program to help the first pioneer batch of all these investment club students to help them uh, learn about finance and then provide trainers and of course provide uh, content for them. And then one of the ideas uh, that we had was to have something like a card and a board game uh, that they can uh, use it to engage the students. And then uh, I actually wanted to design a digital mobile game. Okay, so what happened was that uh, I took the idea of the board game and I put it into a board game and then we uh, got it out into all the universities in Malaysia and then uh, voila, that's how we kind of started. So what's interesting uh, at the point of time is that uh, the board game industry in Singapore is at the low. So we can literally count the number of board game designers with like five fingers. In fact, I think three fingers. Less <laughs> like three fingers. So so I think uh, because what happened was that the previous generation uh went to do digital game. If you remember, there was a time of Angry Birds. There's a time of uh all the, all the puzzle games. And the government is giving very good incentive for uh creating digital games. So the board game industry kind of got killed by the mobile game. And then uh, I came along and said, okay, I think that... We are seeing a golden age of board game over in US and Europe. Okay. So the amount of board game sales is going up on a year-on-year basis on a double digit. So I'm I'm down thinking that you know this could be an opportunity, uh, because uh, whatever that happens over in the West will probably come over to the east uh, eventually. So uh, we decided to do, take this step a bit more serious, and then we kind of did the second game, the third game, and then we became a serious publisher. Yeah, so that's what happened.
1: So on that note, how large is this market? Uh, for, I mean, how large is this board game market in Singapore?
0: Uh, I would say that it has grown tremendously in the last three years. Previously, when we first started in two one five, when we approached all the board cafe, game cafes, uh, I would say that Singaporean designers has a pretty bad rep. So they're saying that, you know, we do not want to take Singaporean game designers because they design lousy games. So in fact, uh, we work with uh, many bookstores at that point of time. Uh, bookstores are still around, uh, like MPH is still around, uh, Times, uh, and, uh, and, and popular, all this, all this, I mean popular is still around, but I think MPH has, is gone. So we work with all this uh, organization and uh, that's how we started going. But uh, the last three years we saw a huge pickup in uh tabletop games. So uh, what happened is that we saw a surge in demand from uh all sorts of distributors to want to distribute Singapore uh, board games, and we are seeing a big surge of Singaporean designers coming up to design their board games. Uh, but in terms of maturity of the kind of games that we like uh in here, we are still at the infant stage. So we are seeing a huge growth uh in the next few years, uh. After the pandemic, it kind of slowed out a bit, but I think we have kind of created this uh, hobby already. So and thanks to a lot of Western media with all the D&D, stranger things you now coming around, there's a higher and higher awareness of TikTok games. Well, I, I would say that it will be very exciting in Singapore and also around the region because we're also seeing a big boom around Southeast Asia uh, and in uh, in the Northern Asian part.
2: What do you think changed
0: the mindsets of people? I guess firstly... Uh, uh, to the distributors, uh, it's all about penny and uh, it's dollars and cents. If your game can't sell, uh, of course they won't take your, take your game. So, uh, I guess a, a few things happened is that we had a couple of big companies in Singapore with strong power, uh, primarily SGAC, uh, so they started to do tabletop games also. So, over in US, uh, it's quite uh, normal to do uh, card games and board games as a part of their merchandising uh, strategy so you know some of them do t-shirts you know, they do other things so uh, i think asgat came out with uh, the idea of uh, launching a card game and asgat being a very powerful media company in singapore they started to promote their own product, and that kind of like created this awareness that hey, you know, card game is cool among the Singapore youth, and then that started picking up, and then uh, it started to uh, spread spread around. So, so that that uh, that created a very strong momentum. Although we already started to see the momentum growing, so I think ASCAP saw the potential of a tabletop game, and they came in to uh, leverage on it, and it was a success.
1: So, on that note, can you maybe just walk us through because uh, I think m- many of us are not be familiar. What are the kind of jobs that are available in the board gaming industry?
0: Oh, uh so it is uh, I would say that it is probably quite similar to uh mobile game, with the exception of uh, different people creating the product. So we have our usual project managers, we have the artists, uh we have the game designers. Uh what is the main difference? Is the how you execute the game. So for a tabletop game, we have to deal with manufacturing, we have to deal with logistics which uh, digital games doesn't need to deal with. So because they got Steam and all this online platform that they just uh, throw on Apple Store. For us, uh, a lot of the time we spend is to find the right manufacturer, procure the right products because board games uh has to deal with a lot of different kind of materials. We got wood, we got plastic, we've got metal, of course we've got paper and cardboard. And then uh sad to say the this manufacturing industry in Singapore is uh is more or less moved out of Singapore already. So a lot of times we need to do a lot of procurement in our neighboring countries, in China, in Taiwan and in, in India. So we spend a lot of time uh traveling to do procurement, uh knocking on doors, finding out how duties import export works in all this country because once you import material in you need to deal with taxes all these things so yeah so we spend a lot of time dealing with all these custom laws regulations then uh, safety standards uh, because you have a physical product and children may come to contact with it so you need to make sure that all the product has uh, certain safety standards uh, before it can be uh, loaded onto the shelf and of course we would need to work with the different distributors uh, which is another issue it's like we don't have a central uh distributor like a uh, Google store or Apple store, you just sign an account, load up the thing, pay your subscription and then you're done. Uh over here we need to deal with uh, different kind of uh uh distributor with different kind of business model and different kind of contracts. So it gets a bit complicated along the way. One big chunk of the work is all the operation works dealing with all the nitty gritty of logistics, uh manufacturing, storing, warehousing, legal things.
2: You're dealing with a lot of this logistical, like you you mentioned, operational things right. more than the actual design of it. All right. So I kind <laughs> of
0: like become from a game designer to more of an operation guy, busy with all this kind of details. So I left my <laughs> game design to my game designers these days. So it sounds like a lot of boots on the ground, now. Yes, a lot of boots on the ground.
2: Do you ever like? halfway through like oh i should have just gone into a digital gaming
0: <laughs> uh, <Sorry>. kind of <laughs> because because it's like you know we look at digital gaming uh, especially during the pandemic whereby we had such a huge logistic uh problem we were like oh warehousing costs has gone up you know rental in singapore has gone up then we need to start to look for uh, renting outside of singapore and then when you have uh, goods that you need to ship into singapore it now takes more than a month to st- ship anything from China to Singapore. So previously, we take one week uh, to ship goods from China to Singapore. So we're a warehouse over at China. Uh, Now we can take up to one month. So it makes planning uh, a lot more difficult. And
1: you're actually from
0: a finance background. Yes, that's right.
1: Oh, maybe you can tell us about that, and maybe that kind of explains also why you're called Capital Gains Studio, right? Oh,
0: that's that kind is of a mistake, actually. Sense. It's <laughs> a horrible <horrendous laughs> name for a game studio. Uh, the reason why is because the, the mobile game I wanted to create is called Capital Gain's Game. Okay. okay, so the uh, strange idea is that, you know, you should name your company after your first game. Okay, please don't do that, because your first game typically sucks, okay? <laughs> uh, for, for <laughs> I mean, that, that's true, that's true. You all learn through the process. You need to put a product on the shelf before you know uh, what sells, what doesn't sell, and probably your first game won't sell, because that is what you like to play, but not what the consumer likes to play or buy. So, that is a problem. So, uh, we started with Game Studio, thinking that, you know, uh, we probably won't last... For like just a temporary thing like just one or two years after we're done with we it, we'll go back to doing mobile games but that, that kind of like stuck around and then uh these days because when we still hold on to the label is when we go to overseas trade shows in germany and they encounter another new publisher or designers designing a financial game they'll come over and say that you know have you talked to Capital game the game studio on that booth over there they do finance games and you should look at their finance games it is very good then they come and look for us hey you know like we got introduced by another uh, person another exhibitor to kind talk to you about finance games then we kind of saying that you no know, we got a kind of a reputation we wanted to kind of change our name but we a bit like mm, we don't want to lose our branding so can we kind of yeah start with, you uh, already start with... have your head
2: start already right how do you change it then Yeah.
0: accidental branding genius yeah so a lot <laughs> a lot of people thought that we are a VC or a venture capitalist or angel investing firm then you say that you'll make more games they uh, yeah, no, it was an accident. So that's a kind of a cool <laughs> story to tell, actually.
2: Do they actually come to you as like, hey, would you like to invest in my da da, da.
0: <laughs> oh, Well, I do receive emails from people looking for VC sometimes. Uh, you know, there, there's some people, no, oh, you want funding, something nothing. They say, oh, we're not actually a VC. <laughs> that <kind of> <laughs> no,
1: I, okay, I, I admit when I first time I saw Capital Gain Studio, I, I thought that you would be like one of those guests that you see on CNBC, and they ask you to comment about all the all the, financial tips. So actually, what's your background, what's your, What was your school like? And
0: uh, I was from NUS business school, so I was in the banking and finance uh, for the first 10-15 uh, years. I'm still active in banking and finance. In fact, I'm still giving talks, because remember, before I was doing this, I was like, giving talks and trainings for financial agencies yeah, right. uh, without the games. So I'm still doing that. So I'm still doing all this training. So uh, uh, once the borders is open, I'm also starting to travel to do this. But uh, I'm just uh, now that I'm running a board game company, so I got another another hat to put on. So now these days I travel to talk about game design, gamification, design thinking, and to coach uh, the designers uh, around the region because sometimes I go there and you know they heard about us say so you know not want to share experience. So, yeah sure. I don't mind sharing my experience with uh making board games or these kind of things. So it
1: shows you don't need to go to school, get degrees to become a game de- uh, to become a board game designer? Oh, uh,
0: no, no in fact there there, there isn't uh, in fact most game design schools I mean we have a lot of game design interns. Uh their interest is still mainly in mobile games but uh we see uh, quite a lot of uh, people starting to want to design uh tabletop games. And I think one of the more interesting things about content creators is that if you actually come from design school, you may not really design a game with a catch point. Uh, this is a story that I heard last time from one of the content creators. So you know, i mix around with a lot of content creators. So you'll share with me that you know what are the top cartoon uh, artists in the world. It's not those that are, come from design school. It's all those from other fields whereby uh, they went through other parts of their life and they combine a cartoon with what they learn from their other industry. They combine to create a unique twist to the content that attracts people a lot. So some of the best uh, cartoon uh, international cartoonists, their artwork is bad. Okay, But one of the things that I noticed about Singaporean uh, artists uh, from school, they focus a lot on technical skills, but not a lot of content. So you see some of these cartoonists, their artwork actually sucks. But your content is compelling. It talks to people in their soul that it's a problem that they have and they offer advice and solution. That's what captured the attention. It's not actually the art.
1: Okay. Yeah. So 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 yeah,
0: that's very true.
1: It's, it's yeah. the same
2: thing that I heard about uh, journalists once. I was I was from a factual documentary company and they were talking about journalists and they said the best journalists always come from their specialization. That means if you're a lawyer before you actually make a very, very good law journalist. Like right? any legal staff, of course, you're more familiar with it. The same for business and finance. So yeah, whereas you come from journal journalism school, your topics are just lacking a little bit. now you don't have as much depth.
1: As... But but it's quite interesting as well that you mentioned about the technical thing because I, I think technical things are is quite not that I would get it's not easy, but I would say that it's very accessible to pick up. Right? If I want to learn how to do something technically. I can find a tutorial on on YouTube or Vimeo, yeah. Uh, within within, give me three hours and I try a bit, and then maybe maybe I can do a bit lah. I won't be I won't say very very good, but at least at least I know at least I know how to do it. So I uh, wanted to talk to you, look, go back to what you mentioned about the uh, contents, you know, because I think if you look at some of your titles that you've had, and I think I I think that the titles are. I uh, just, uh, just, incredibly fun. Like, so I've seen that like, it's zombie life insurance, dirty money, cryptocurrency. Okay, that is one game. Uh, that you play, you confirm a loser. <laughs> uh, so can you, maybe you can tell us how how do you come about creating content for you know for for, for these games and how how you know how it came about given your finance background and and you know,
0: game design. Okay, so we go back to the philosophy of game design. There's uh, two ways to design a game. One is what we call bottom up, and one is what we call top down. Okay, bottom up is you focus on the mechanics, you try to innovate an interesting mechanic that nobody has seen before, and then from there you have a mechanic, then you build the team around the mechanic. Okay. Uh, but in the case of finance games, uh it's more of a top-down approach whereby you look at a problem that you want to tackle. Like, you know, uh for like example for cryptocurrency. Uh, where we developed a game that was like 2017, 2018, when cryptocurrency just came about and it just reached the public knowledge, and there's a lot of scams uh, going around. around. Ah, so there it, still is. Yes, it's still happening. Yeah, so we just had a big crash and, and yeah, a lot of people just uh, closed shop. And uh, what happened is that uh, we wanted to highlight the problem of cryptocurrency scams uh, to the public and at the same time to help them understand how cryptocurrency works. So that was our top-down approach. That Okay, what's the problem? And uh, we designed the mechanics around the problem. Uh, same thing with uh, Zombie Life Insurance. It's actually a game about insurance education. Okay, I mean, you can see from the title. But the thing is that how do we make this uh, game fun and not so morbid? Because the concept of death can be uh, traumatizing to people, especially if you have a loved one that Passes away. Okay, so we try not to talk about this, and then and uh, uh, because it can become very real. So how can we do a game such that uh, it kind of like simulate the real life, but it doesn't get too real that it will, uh, you you will you touch on the raw nerve of our uh, individuals who had a uh, loved one pass away due to illness or accident. So uh, we adopted the idea of uh, what game designers normally do. So you know all the zombie killing games that we have. Yeah, so normally typically it's not violent killing zombies but it's violent killing people so what's the difference between zombie and people you know so so that's the idea so it's the same thing it's uh, it's not violent killing jumping fruits with uh pitchfork but it is violent killing people so so at the end of the day the context we, we, we swap the context around so uh so what we do is that we come came up with a concept about zombie because there is a pan- zombie pandemic I mean, which is a common theme and we are in a pandemic in the last few years so there's a zombie pandemic and you can buy insurance to uh, ensure against the the zombification of uh, of this this virus. Oh. Uh, and in the case that you do become a real zombie, you can still continue playing the game. Uh, just that you become a zombie, you start to sample people lah. But of course, you can win. You can win by trying not to become a zombie, or you can win by you know uh, becoming a zombie. So we try to have a twist to the game angle of the game. Yeah,
1: that sounds <laughs> like oh, I- I'm just... <laughs> Having this image now in my head, right? It's like okay, if you okay, you become a zombie, then you go and claim your insurance. Yes, I go and, right. I go and claim right. claim my premium because I all became right. a zombie. All <laughs> right. all That's, right. it's absolutely That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And but I notice a lot of your games, you know, uh uh, and that coming out of capital gains is uh, of course, there's a role playing element to it. I think, especially since this is a podcast that started off for, you know, that targets creative freelancers. A lot of them are also in different, you know, actors and so on. I think this will be interesting to them. But I was also wanted to kind of find out what is the process like for you board game designers to come up with, you know, the roles and the scenarios for all these... Uh, role-playing
0: uh, in the game. I guess uh, how the process of the game works is that uh, okay. each game takes roughly around one year to develop. Okay, So uh, it, it starts from the mechanics. So we just take scraps of paper uh, to write down. Then we test the game. Uh, Whether we like it, we don't like it. Does it work? Is it broken? And uh, Then if it works, we we'll develop. If it doesn't work, we will throw out and then we will uh, get another new iteration. Then uh, that process will take around... Uh, three to five months before we will greenlight said okay i think the game is uh, 90% ready uh, just left some balancing need to do we can start to get artists in and artwork uh, then we will start to uh, create our creative directions uh, on how the game will look like the box cover the tone the color scouting the kind of palette that we want uh, we'll get two groups of people one is an illustrator and one is a graphic designer Okay, so what's the difference is that the illustrator is in charge of doing all the main artwork uh, inside the, the, the cards, the boards, and the box cover. While the graphic designers focus on the UX UI, so they look at all the symbols, they look at uh, what's the font, how big is the font, you know, where do you place it on the card, how do you put it such that when you put the cards in your hands, it does, uh, it does flow and it's yet to see what is the most important part of the assets. And then we kind of just put everything together. And then after that, uh, we will start to do a prototype. Okay, we'll do a small scale prototype. Uh, then uh, we look at the coloring. We look at the font size on the actual card. Because when you look at the screen on Photoshop, you have such a big screen. You think that, you know, your phone is very big. Then you shrink it down to a small poker card. Then you're like, mm, okay, I can't really the thing. <laughs> okay, I need to, you know, increase the thing. So, so we do a prototype. Then after the prototype is done uh, and it's uh, green lighted, uh, it depends whether we want to run a Kickstarter or not. Okay, so I, think, I guess a lot of our uh, creative uh, is very interested in Kickstarter because uh, that is one of the ways that we get funding for our uh, games. So uh, for board games, is the same thing. And in fact, uh, board games is one of the biggest uh, se- segments for Kickstarter these days. Uh, so so we, some of the games we run Kickstarter, some of the games we do not run Kickstarter. I mean, that is uh, another long story on the business decision, why we do that. And then we start to look for manufacturers. Uh, look for warehouse space to store it, talk to distributors, do pre orders, all this kind of thing, and then ship the games in, then ship the games to the distributor, and then do marketing, do press release, and uh, continue marketing, do YouTube content, how to play, you wow. know, and then the, the process ends in the case. So that is the process from conceptualization to shop.
2: And then you said that's all usually within one
0: year. One year is until the end of manufacturing. So after that, we need to keep the product uh, alive on the shelf, all this kind of thing. Then we need to work with uh, reviewers, influencers, uh, magazines, designs to keep the product cycle alive, uh, to ensure that it stays on the shelf, or uh, all these kind of things. So what happened is that when COVID came around, uh, all the all those uh, kind of stock, so that kind of allowed us to have more time to, create games because uh when COVID came the games division started to sell well. Our serious game consultation division started the revenue started to drop. Uh because you know uh, all the projects got postponed or got cancelled because you cannot uh develop a, I mean what's the point of developing a board game when you don't know how long COVID will, will, will be and how it ends. And uh, after you create the board game, you cannot engage with it. So uh, all all those uh, all those got kind of scrapped. And then uh, suddenly we see our uh, board game sales are uh, picking up because hey, everybody is stuck at home. They are either playing a digital game or playing a board games. So uh, people with family, they wanted to not so, do so much digital, watch so much TV and play so much digital game for their kids. So they want something more tactile. So either they go for toys or board games. So we see a strong uh, sales in board game uh, in the, during the COVID. So at the same time, because of that uh, capacity that led out that we don't need to do all this consultation work, we've got time to design games. So during that period of time, we actually came out with of game ideas that what you see today, lah.
1: In a way, because you're you the the timeline to make a game is almost two years anyway. So it did not really impact you in that sense because a lot of things are under development, and or you can start developing
0: and we can we can accelerate our development uh uh quickly and for more time. So we have a lot more time to do playtesting. So we can now playtest on a day in day out basis. Uh, so so uh when we talk about one year, we're talking about. Uh, the playtesting maybe once a week for a typical designer. Or uh, over the weekend, you go and playtest your friends. Because I'm assuming that uh, designers uh, a lot of the designers are freelance designers that have uh, full time work, and they cannot do playtesting every day. And you want to grab your friends out during your working day the playtest is also a bit difficult. So normally it's uh weekends that you can do testing, unless you have a dedicated team uh who can playtest within the organisation. Which I think that's uh, what we have. 'cause uh we can play test within our company first. So we are able to accelerate all the all the all the development work uh, that typically take one year for average designer to do. Uh, so we are able to accelerate and then i think all our operation or artists are standby saying hey, do you have work or not uh, saying, yeah, yeah we got work uh we're making a new game so here, here's the here's the creative direction things. is that also
1: why you're saying like it takes a bit a bit slower for you to do some things that like, used to take a week but now it takes yes, a month correct
0: correct so so we also have to move our game testing to virtual so uh basically uh we created something like we use uh those uh, tabletop simulator and. Uh, Tabletopia is a uh, tabletop simulation program whereby you can upload all the skins in with all the dice inside and you can create a game. So uh, it, it, we basically, because we cannot meet uh, in the office during the full lockdown, so we basically put everything on it and we tested them uh online. Uh, are still not as good as real life because you miss the kind of tech bar, kind of thing. because some of the games you need to grab things I imagine like one of the games is a checkout. It's a dice rolling game that you need to put dice on the thing. Imagine you try to roll the dice virtually and try to put it on top of the board uh, to be the first support on the board. That is challenging, man. That's very challenging. Yeah, uh, you know, uh,
2: like a deck that Yeah, yeah, it's, like it's like so, very so. difficult. But
0: I mean, we, we make do what we had. La. But that also opened up a new avenue for testing. It allows us to give, do better testing with overseas uh, game designers. So it kind of expanded our collaboration with uh, overseas. So we invited overseas influencers uh, game leaders and our designers to test the game and we get different feedback from them so we are able to kind of uh, expand the testing pool also so that that's also kind of a good thing that forces us to go virtual
2: it sounds very exciting but at the same time it's very practical things because i think it's very different from having a digital product right you you have that that physical product which i think a lot of people don't go for nowadays like even as a like say said, content creator. You're making a lot of digital products, basically.
0: I would say that there's cons and pros for both mobile and, um, and board games because one of the good things about board games is that your competition is relatively less. So when you have a game on a shelf, you go to a shelf, people will definitely see your game. But if your game is on Apple Store or on Steam and you're not one of the top 20 or 50 sellers, you almost will get buried alive. Unless right. you spend a lot of money on marketing and advertising. Right, I, I get what you're saying, yeah.
2: So you also have these other games, right? Apart from your financial games, you uh, you also have like Hot Pot Havoc, which I think I played before. I played I, at a cafe oh, sure. before. That's yeah. great, great. <laughs> and Happy Dim Sum. So how did this segment of games come about then?
0: Uh, we were looking to pivot a, uh, in a way because uh, we have a lot of game ideas. You know, game designers... And when you're limited to finance games, we get a bit frustrated because we got all these brilliant ideas on the side, but we cannot do because we kind of like, oh, we have to do finance games because that is the branding of our company. And we have so much ideas that it's like, oh, I need Pizza. You no, know, I got idea about Pizza. You no, know, we can create a game about Pizza. And this could be fun, but we cannot do Pizza because Pizza has got to, nothing to do with finance. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so along the way, we kind of uh, got our, our operation process our manufacture. So we don't need to worry about the day to day like procurement because our system is there. So we're saying that you know we have the capacity to make more games, and we like to make games for the Singaporean families that they can enjoy, and not all these like heavy financial topics that uh you know they you, you need to plan where to play like all these happy kids so you just oh okay, i have team just to go and there so just make sure to have fun and we have uh, lunch or dinner. So we wanted to create something like that, uh, and uh, that is uh, one of the, the things that we see is the first step to get a broader acceptance uh, into the market whereby more people can start learning all the simple games, then they will graduate to the heavier games. What we see in, over in the West, where people start with games against humanity, munchkins, uh, monopoly deal. So, uh, so uh, we decided, okay, let's do a family version, let's start a new brand called Mercat uh, Games. Which is a very gamey uh brand, so we call ourselves that at the start, of the thing they not capital Games you though, but anyway. So that that was the uh, that was the brand we started to create all these light family games, uh, to introduce the to the the easier mechanics and uh the fun stuff that we do like. So that brand basically do all the cool all the funny ideas that we have that we cannot fit into finance, and we just play under mechanic games.
1: Right. So it, so it's sort of like, it doesn't dilute your your branding in the sense of for capital games. Uh, that yeah. was. Partly the reason. Now you're also going to dinosaur games,
0: That huh? yeah, that's also a kind of accident. So we have a lot of guys in our team, we all love dinosaurs. Then we're like we designed a mechanic and said that, oh this this mechanic is so cool, uh, about you know, uh herbivore and carnivore eating each other in the middle, you know, we like to last time we were kids we like to take dinosaur toys and hammer yeah. each other. <laughs> <kind> of, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, that's like, that's like okay, this is the game and uh, we know that uh, dinosaur games uh, kind of uh, do well in the general market because I don't know, my, my nephew loves dinosaurs. Oh, my two-year-old loves dinosaurs. Yeah, my friends' kids love dinosaurs. And I was like, okay, I think we've got a great mechanic for a dinosaur game. Uh, but uh, where do we put it? And uh, we saw opportunity. I think we can do a dinosaur educational games for kids. And uh, we thought this is pretty interesting. But it, the mechanics is uh, kind of a, a bit higher, a bit more difficult than the normal family games, the party games that, that, that we create. Uh, it's a game that requires you to think how to eat the other dinosaurs. You need strategy to eat other dinosaurs. It's more of the Pokemon level. So we're saying that, okay, uh, uh, one of the things that we consider is that the difficulty and uh, I think for Capital Studio, it's time to maybe uh, branch out from finance games also. Uh, because we also want to do other educational games, like STEM games, uh, science. Ah, uh, for sure. Kind of things. Yeah. So because one of the challenges we have is that for finance games, like, it takes uh, quite a long time to design. Firstly, there's not a lot of game designer that is competent in both finance and board game design. That's that's a problem. So uh, we have a lot of challenge also uh, looking for the right kind of designers. So you see a lot of games are actually in-house and uh, some of it are done by very, very good game designer that is very adaptable. So uh, we we are saying that, okay, uh, we need to uh, also make more games uh, these days. So we're like, okay, let's start and explore STEM games. Uh, Let's start with the dinosaur games and uh, let's start with a pathology uh, education game and and see how it goes. So that is uh, one of the new uh, things that we'll try out to see how it works. Uh, Something that's different from our traditional uh, financial literacy game. So now uh, we're trying dinosaur education again and see how it goes us. Well, we need to keep, uh, look for our new metaverse <laughs> or else we'll be stuck <laughs> with the old thing. I mean, it, it, I think it's fine to have our own, own niche, but at, at the same time, uh, in order to expand the business, we need, need to explore out and see what happens. Yeah, so that's one of the exploration that we're taking.
2: So it's a little bit of a business decision as well. Uh? Yeah, that's right. So I, I'm just curious, right? Because you do make games out of very... Typically boring topics. Yeah, that's yeah and that's why I think um you, you gamify in the first place lah. Yeah, right? in right. order to educate. But what's what's the usual reaction to all these games? from your target audience?
0: Okay, uh, I guess that, that comes from how we pitch the game to the target audience. <laughs> okay. So so if you go in telling them that it is a financial education game, I tell most of the, 90% of the uh, adults will run away because they say, oh, nah, I don't want to uh, play a financial education game. It sounds boring. If you want to have a game for fun, you know, I want to have fun. I want to
2: play a game, uh, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, but but if you, because the game is designed in a, in a way that if you play the game on its own, it doesn't need to be educational, it can be just fun. So we talked about the idea of an insurance uh, pandemic. I mean, it can be, I mean, there's a lot of strange mobile games these days that touch a very raw team. So from a person looking at the game just on the shelf, made, oh, this is this is interesting concept of an insurance and a pa- zombie pandemic that is the tip unheard of, could be an interesting game. And it, it sounds fun, you know, I will, I will go and play it. Okay, so it, it depends on how you want to emphasize on the thing. But if you look at all our design, the emphasis is always fun first because there's no point playing a game that you don't have fun. Because why do you want to play games? Because you want to have fun. So that's always a priority in all our game design uh, philosophy: also have fun. Education comes second. Uh, I mean, I would say that in fact, every game can become an educational game if you know how to uh, turn it around or extract the learning points from it. Even like Monopoly a game where you're supposed to bankrupt other people you are it actually can be used as a like a financial literacy game or a property management game that, that's true uh, to teach people you know not to get into too much debt and rent is killer <laughs> you get killed by rent so yeah buy your own property or something like that along that line yeah
1: i i don't want to know what what the idea i mean what what the lessons you learn from risk will be then or sticks and <laughs> snakes and ladders snakes and
0: ladders Snakes <laughs> uh, and Leather is actually a karmatic game designed by the Indian... Uh, it's an Indian board game designed around the idea of the karmatic uh, uh, cycle. So the snake is like, you done bad things, you'll fall down, and then you take a longer time to reach Navida. So if you actually study the history of that game, it is actually a game to teach people about the karmatic cycle. Wow.
1: wow! I never so knew deep, that! So deep, so cheap! I, yeah! <laughs> The holiday season is upon us, and if you're still working on your shopping, why not consider gifting a game from Capital Gains Studio? From finance games to science games to Asian games, there's lots of fun and entertainment for everyone. You can even send a gift card if you're not sure which game to pick. Just scan this QR code or check out www.capitalgainsgroup.com right now. So, on that note of financial literacy, and then with your background in banking, finance, and of course, having made all these uh, finance games uh, first, before you started to make all the other games. And this is a question we ask a lot of our guests. What is your psychology of money and how did it impact the content of your games?
0: Oh, uh, psychology of money. Okay, so as you know that I do finance games, so you must assume that I love money. Uh, but, uh, uh, uh,
1: exactly, I think... that's what I'm asking you this question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I think over the years, the the love for money kind of like diminished. So previously, when I first graduated, you know, it's like uh, we need to be a millionaire by 30 years old. So I need to take risk. I need to go and look for all those uh, very high risk uh, investment products. So uh, I've traded in options. I've done currencies trading. I've done warrants trading. I've done all sorts of ways to try to make money for the financial market. Uh, you show me a formula. I can probably tell you whether it will or not work uh, these days. Uh, but uh, over time, uh, I have a uh, few life and death experience uh, over the years. So I nearly died in my late 20s. So that kind of changed my mindset about money. That if you don't have health, money is 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 not so important, so useful. But of course, you need to have what you need to achieve a certain amount of freedom to do what you want, or else uh, you'll be stuck. Are uh, worrying about what you want to uh, where the next money is coming from every day. So that is still important, but it shouldn't be the overriding priority in life. Uh, we should be looking out for experiences and how do we uh, Contribute to the society and create a legacy uh, for people in the future to benefit from. So, I think one of the things that why I kind of like go from finance to board game because you know, board games kind of last forever. Uh, I still have my board games from my childhood days, my Monopoly board and that's like 40 years old uh, board game over there. So I'm in my 40s as you can tell. So, so the thing here is that experience, uh, legacy, that is something that, is, uh, that, is, uh, that could be something very different. So I think one of the things in our Asian society is that we always have this money chase. And then when you, if you talk to the Europeans and the Americans, the time of value experience more than degrees and money uh and what you do so when they come up and they share they share you know i have done this charity i want to do this thing i wrote a book or these kind of things and, and you get respected for that and i think uh in singapore we're also moving to this kind of uh society uh, that uh, we are looking for uh, experience and uh, this kind of thing and i feel that you know creating board game is a great way to both i'll say you know make some money and at the same time create a legacy to contribute to the society so uh, i know it becomes a bit cheap or hypocritical coming from last time a person who lost money and tried to be a millionaire at age 30 Uh, but i I guess that is the thing that is but uh, just to share that i know i'm not a millionaire Uh, i think i'm okay but i don't think i am by by means a millionaire yet so i I never really actually uh, meet my goal but i'll say that i'm comfortable enough uh, thanks to both the bargain business and what uh, the investment i did uh, previously that i'm able to uh, have a pretty comfortable like
1: so i need to walk us through back you said you did options and warrants trading and it almost killed you ah uh, yes that's right you are like the second person to tell us that we had one guest who told us that the same thing about warrants trading but what happened to you
0: uh i got killed by politics okay as in geopolitics like, 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 as as yeah, yeah, right. okay
1: so maybe you can tell us okay to contextualize this and unpack this again just quickly explain to us or our listeners what is options and warrant trading and how they did it Almost kill you.
0: Uh, okay, so uh, what happened is that for options, uh, how it works is that it is like you give a IOU to someone to say that you know, uh, you I, I write a, a piece of paper to you to say that okay, if I, uh, if you want to buy this shares from me, I give you an option. You pay me a rent or option fee. Uh, if you want to exercise it, I will pass you the shares. If not, I'll keep it and I'll keep the rent. Okay, so it's something like a a, a, a it's, promise. It's bank house. A, yeah. yeah, like a promise to give them the the shares. Okay, so what happened is that uh, for options you can uh, play on both sides of the of the angle when okay most of the time when we do finance we do buy low uh, sell high okay but when it comes to options and futures you can sell high buy low meaning that you can make money when the market is going downwards okay so uh. It is both a curse and a boon because previously you can only make money when the market is going up. Now you can lose money when it's going way up. So it means ah, that you have right. now double the chance to lose money. And you can consistently make uh, mistake because of that. So the market can be going up when you're shutting the market, you lose the money. And then you thought, okay, the market is going up now. I should long. Then I go back and buy low, sell high. And then the market start going down again. Then I lost money and I flip it. The, the, the few flips that you do, you basically lose everything. And one of the things about uh, all this kind of uh, instrument is that they are leveraged. It's like buying a property uh, that, and you take a t- huge bank loan uh, out of it. So it's the same thing. So it's like the typical of a bank loan of uh, of uh, of, uh, of, a sh- of a shares. Uh, to put it simply, although it's more complex than that. Uh, so if you make any mistake, everything is amplified and you can get negative debt of the capital. That means that you have $100, you can get negative $100, meaning that you have to pay... More than whatever you put inside the market. So what happened at the point in time is that uh I think that was uh, one of the political uh race in US. Uh I think that was uh between uh Republican and Democrat, and I thought that the Democrat would win, but at the end of the day they, the Republican won. So that was between George Bush and who's the gentleman that did the all the environmental films? There? Oh, Al Gore. Uh, yeah. i uh, Al Gore. Yeah. So that was between Al Gore and and Bush. So. Uh, the market is predicting that Gore will win, probably. Then Bush came ahead and then they got a court hearing and Bush managed to got the, the, the election. So the market went the other way from what it wanted. And uh, these days, there's a lot of geopolitical risk. Like what happened during uh, the Trump and Hillary uh, election? So people were thinking that Hillary will win, but at the end, at the end Trump won. And then we have uh, like Ukraine-Russia war. That was a big thing that happened. And then we have like COVID that happened out of the way. And then the market just tank all the way down uh, in within a a few weeks so there's all these things that uh, no matter how good your fundamental or technical analysis okay these are the ways that investment people use to analyze to buy or sell uh, technical and fundamental analysis no matter how good it is when things happen and it just happened and you are off the chart and you do not have a risk management uh, methodology to hedge your risk you will just get wiped out Okay, so I've seen a lot of friends going inside trading uh, because they think, thinking that they can trade for a living uh, because uh, the more you're involved in the market, the higher chance that you'll lose money. That kind of like uh, going against the people who are saying that, you know, you need to watch the market like a hawk every day yeah. then you can react in time. I, I used to do that but uh, what happened is that I find that I actually make better money when at a point of the time I spend a lot of effort looking and analysing what I want to buy. I just buy and I will just leave it as it is and run for a few years, I make much better profit from that than I down there watch it. emotions go up and down, I get stressed, I couldn't sleep, I get insomnia or it's kind of health problems coming along. So yeah, uh, but this is uh, part of uh, part and parcel of exploration of uh, how to invest and finding your own uh, ways to invest. Yeah. So, in fact, yeah, I wrote a book about that. So, but anyway, yeah. So, what happened to you then at that time? Oh, uh, I, I had a very bad case of grave disease that I, I nearly died. I think that's as a result of having a day job and doing options trading at night. Because options trading is normally done in US. Yes. And, and um, I couldn't sleep. So, it's like you put in a trade. You'll be like, okay, it's time to sleep at 12 o'clock. Then you have a nightmare that the market crashed. Then you wake up, you look at the screen and say, no, okay, the market didn't crash. Okay, I'm okay, go back to sleep again. So, 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 you have days like that, where it's so stressful, you put it at high rate and you just go not sleep. And the first thing you do when you wake up is look at the market to ensure that the market didn't go against you. So, this went on for two to three years until I, I got this uh, condition called Grave disease. Uh, it's a more severe case of hyperthyroid, uh, hyperthyroidism. And uh, actually, uh, my, my my case was so bad that one day I was paralyzed on bed and I couldn't get out of <gasps> bed. Oh
2: dear, that's terrifying. So I didn't know
0: why I was paralyzed. And then when, by the time I got to the hospital, uh, I nearly died. But I didn't know I died because the, the doctor didn't tell me. Okay. So it's only after I went back to the post-hospitalization or the post-checkup. The doctor said, you know, that you actually nearly died. They it, oh, how come you never tell me Stop. Oh, we cannot tell a patient that you know, you're dying <laughs> You know, you create a negative follow effect, but you, you you nearly die. Yeah, at that point of time. Why? So it's just that uh it's just that we can't tell you. So 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 that that was the reservation I had at that point of time. Uh these days I buy ETF and funds and stocks. Uh I dabble a bit in cryptocurrency uh these days. Uh but I don't do options. Even I want to do options, uh, I'll wait when there's a huge crash. I go in. I'll buy. I'll buy a position for many, many months and years. Then I'll let it just run on its own.
1: So your time decay is not so bad because yeah, it's your a longer decay run is not eh? so
0: bad, Yeah. So 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 I don't do like monthly or day trading or options. Oh
1: anymore. oh, oh yeah, that, that that that's a bit scary. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's <laughs> yeah.
2: interesting though that you know how how this has shaped your philosophy and how you, your outlook of life and the experience that you had and money how it, it ties into everything. Do you think this actually? leaks into the games that you create though i mean in, in a lot of ways it's very closely related to the experience that you had right
0: i will say that you know creating book games itself is part of that experience because you know remember what's the first priority of creating games is to have fun so i'll say that you know uh, have fun in your life before you go uh, and money is part of that uh, process in helping you uh, enjoy your life so, uh, if you enjoy what you're doing, uh, go ahead and do it. And money helps tremendously in getting uh, that being done. So, treat money as part of a lubricant in uh, living the best life that you have in this world before before you go. So, I, I guess that that is, that, is the, that whole philosophy is like why I started the whole board game business. I know
1: having all this experience in finance, uh, being a financial trainer, writing books, and so on. I'm very curious to know, right? What is the stupidest thing you've done with your money? That the stupidest thing, then
0: is like, you know, if I did it, cover it. i i lose the game. I would say it's the, the stupidest thing is that I got scammed by a monk.
2: You got scammed? Okay. <laughs> like Those that, kind, that, they that, walk that. up to you and then ask you for donation, kind
0: of. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's more so than that. So I was at the McDonald's doing my, my, my usual thing, you know. Then there oh, was wait, this, How
1: long ago was this?
0: Uh, I think that was like, after I just graduated, like, three to four years after I graduated from school. So I was like single and not married and uh you know thirsty for a girlfriend, you know, the kind of thing, you know the kind of mindset. So so it's like uh, uh I was at McDonald's doing nothing I think then this uh, monk came along and said that uh Sir it seems that you you uh you have a uh Taohua English you're gonna have a love uh you're gonna have a you're auspicious for love is coming your way uh but I can help you emphasize on it uh i can help you enhance your that 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 power do you want to hear about it then i'll say that uh do i need to pay I say no it's free for the first time okay free. okay come think about it then you know he do his usual things then he somehow convinced me to buy a charm to uh throw it inside the sea to enhance the power so i think that cost me a few hundred dollars <laughs> so i did that and then she said that, you know this the kind of girl that you want is i can be ambition this girl, you know, long hair, black hair, big eyes, you know, the usual thing. So, he must know that I, know I like anime. I'm an anime otaku, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, 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 that sounds like, that sounds like what I'm ambitiating. Yeah, long coming hair, big there, eyes, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah the kind of thing. So, I think that's the dumbest thing, uh, the money that I spent to look for a girlfriend. But my girlfriend didn't come uh, 15 years later. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's my present wife. So, yeah, he didn't come 15 years later. So he was 15 years later. He was me, he's coming in the next six months. That six months we
1: <laughs> So uh, clearly we've all learned that, you know, scammers don't just come from Nigerian princes and from India now. They could come to you <laughs> as a monk. <laughs>
0: Uh okay. yeah, in fact in fact in, I think in Singapore a lot of scammers come from, come from uh Taiwan and, and China. So I mean they try to the scam oh, yeah, the I elderly. Heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's... But I'm hoping that somebody will do some scam baiting for the Chinese, uh you know the Chinese side. You know we see a lot of scam baiting sites uh for the English, the mainly coming from Indian because they speak uh they speak English. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's a Chinese scam baiting site that just you know, we have all, all our scam baits in Singapore a lot is in Chinese because they're trying to uh, pray on the, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, like your, DBS, it, your example, DBS uh, yeah. call
2: hello this is DBS
0: yeah yeah and they all speak in Chinese it's like we know DBS doesn't speak in Chinese
1: yeah <laughs> it's the only time I, I, every time I get this call right, it's the only time I, I, I actually speak in Chinese because I will go and Speak Chinese back to them and take them on a try <laughs> and be a troll, <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, but that sounds like a next game, right? Scam baiting, so it sounds like a premise oh, for a next game.
2: Oh, yeah, idea. <laughs> so, <that> note, hey, <laughs> so, so I actually <laughs> thought
0: about it because <laughs> I watch so much uh, scam baiting videos uh, that mm, I thought that was uh, quite a, a, a quite a fun fun topic to talk about. Yeah, uh, it, yeah could
1: it could be a next game. So, so what's next for you guys actually at Capital Gains? If it's not uh, if it's not a scam baiting bond game.
0: <laughs> uh okay the next one that we are doing is rpg uh that is uh, something new that we're batching out uh, it's based on a board game that we actually have called that uh okay so uh, we have this board game called that it's a cooperative game that uh, talks about like something like marvel like superheroes trying to combat this big monster called that so how the zilla works is that it is on the depth of the entire country the more depth the country uh, takes on the bigger and the tougher the monster will be. So, in the game, the heroes are kind of like poor Spider-Man working heroes. They don't actually have uh, money like Tony Stark, so they are quite poor. And then they need to work, and in order to buy the equipment, they need to take a loan. But each time they take a loan, you'll make the final boss stronger.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, so, th- wow. so that is the whole concept of the game. This oh, is like, it's like, uh, it's like this Warren's trading. is life training.
2: lessons, man. This is life lessons. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a
0: game about, dept, uh, about uh, talking about good debt, bad debt, you know, what kind of debt that you take, those kind of things. So we kind of have like uh, educational debt, credit card loans inside the game. So you're supposed to buy and get a gadget. And if you've got the wrong gadget, it becomes like a bad debt something like that. So so the game uh, works around that. And then what is during COVID is that uh, because, you know, we cannot play board games. Uh, so we actually have a lot of requests for RPGs because RPGs can be conducted uh, through Zoom. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah because the RPG, what you need is maybe a PowerPoint slides or maybe some image to showcase the game. Uh, you do not need to be like uh, Dungeons & Tables having a full map and all the miniatures. I mean, that that's great, but actually uh, most RPG does not need that because all you need is your imagination and you just need a piece of uh, your role-playing sheet in front of you to to kind of uh, write down all your inventory, your powers and your skills and all this. We thought that, you know... Uh, RPG is actually a huge genre on tabletop, but we have been working on card and uh, board games so far. So and uh, now that we're in a more interconnected world with Zoom around, I think that we can now play tabletop games uh, RPG on Zoom. Uh, Although the experience is not as great as uh, what we can get in real tabletop, but it's also a very interesting way to uh, get the hobby across. So, so I decided to convert that whole team and design a whole new mechanic around mm-hmm. a RPG concept around the game. So that is the game that that I'm currently working on.
1: How did you guys uh, at Capital Gains uh pull through that that two years and now that we've reopened we as well? You know, mm, do you yeah. actually see
0: a lot more pent up demand and, yeah, and yeah.
1: so on on these.
0: Uh, we are definitely seeing a lot of events coming right on. So uh, a lot of game hosting events. And what happened is that uh, one part of our business is to do events and uh, game consultation. So there are actually a lot of corporations and government agencies they wanted to create board games as a form of engagement uh, for their staff or the students.
1: Did you know that you can make your own board game? That's pretty cool, right? Contact Capital Games Studio at info at capitalgamesgroup.com to find out how. Maybe you can tell our listeners out there, if they are thinking like they want to be like you and go into game design and so on, what advice do you have for them?
0: Okay, play play a lot more games and play uh, the modern games. Okay, Because uh, what happened is that a lot of the game designers that we meet, uh, that first-time game designer, uh, they design based on uh, the their favourite games. And a lot of the games that they last designed uh, could be those very old games like Monopoly or uh, like Munchkin. So uh, what we talk about old games, uh, we have the classic design and the new design. So uh, in today's context, uh, tabletop games is no longer like considered as a, as a toy. People are calling it designer games. So you know, in like fashion, there's designer games, uh, designing fashion, whoever the designer label, uh, it will sell well. So it's, it's now in the same as uh, in, 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 in the World of Games now. Whoever is a designer, you put your name on your box, the game will sell. So there are very famous award designers, uh, award-winning designers in Europe and US. Any publisher, any design that they throw out, people just grab because it will sell. So uh, we are at a stage whereby uh, we uh, this thing called designer board gifts is very popular over the West, although uh, in this part of the world we still look at brands like Hano, Hashbro, you know, that kind of thing. We look for brands or Mattel or this all these brands uh, or we look for brands before we buy. So I think the emphasis will generally be a bit more different. People will start to look at the designer more and more. And in order to be a good designer or to be a designer that is internationally recognized, uh, you cannot uh, you cannot do all those games that are very old because these are considered as old designs. You need to look at what are the new designs. And you need to innovate on the new design. So the frontier of design for tabletop game in the last 10 years has moved a lot very quickly. I mean, you haven't heard of a cooperative game like uh, 10 years before, like Pandemic. That's one of the first cooperative games that came along that got very uh, popular and famous. 10 years ago, 10-15 uh, years ago, you barely heard of a uh, cooperative game. And all the games is cultural, property, dice-throwing game. Or oh yeah, yeah, dice-throwing game,
1: battleship, yeah, risk yeah, and game, all this, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, so uh, we don't have, it's a cooperative game, and we now see a lot more genres uh, coming about. So... Now one of the top games is called Wingspan. Uh, it's a game about birds. I mean, last time people wouldn't want to play a game about birds. You know, uh, kind of not exciting. But now it's a it's a top selling game. So 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 I, I guess that the genre has changed, the team has changed, and the emphasis has also has changed, and the amount of uh, demand for the consumer has also changed. So because uh, uh, it's like we consume so much Marvel, good high level CG. Uh in fact when we see our boys to men we see a CG You say that ah, the CG looks fake.
2: So even I consumer standards that. have increased Correct, as well. consumer yeah. standards have
0: increased. So so the problem is that you need to, uh, in order to op- operate at the consumer level expectation, you need to go at the marble level. If not, maybe you lose a bit. People say you know, locally designed can forgive a bit, but you need to have a certain standard to get there.
1: And if you were to tap on your mind as a financial literacy trainer, so that what kind of advice would you give to our creative freelancers out there listening to this?
0: Okay, for freelancer, uh, I would say that the most important thing is to get a good uh hospitalization plan. Okay, get that is the most important thing because uh in Singapore the most expensive part of living is the hospital bills which is going up higher and higher. You can no need to have anything but as long as once you have your hospital bills being settled, uh daily expenses in Singapore is not too bad. I mean if you just eat hawker food, uh if you just take public transport uh, and uh and uh, your housing if you have enough CPF normally it is very comfortable in Singapore if you don't want the elite lifestyle is very comfortable uh the problematic part is the hospitalization bills. Okay, sometimes uh, it, it can become very expensive. It's like uh my dad just passed away, he had cancer, and his cancer treatment is like ten thousand dollars a month. Okay, and that is inclusive of the public hospital. That means we went to both public and private hospital. The recommended treatment cost ten thousand dollars a month. So that was uh that was very expensive. We were shocked then we were asking the, the public hospital saying like, how come it's so expensive because they're saying that. Uh, because my dad has stage four cancer, it's like uh, it's like a drug uh, that the government will not do because uh, although he has a chance of curing, uh, uh, it's called immunotherapy, immunotherapy. Okay, it's covered under the new shield plans or the health insurance that is offered by the insurance, but it's not covered under the share. So my dad had diabetes since young, so he couldn't get into the private shield plans when he got older. So he got a pre-existing. So that wasn't covered under the 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 national healthcare system. So uh, it's very expensive, uh, even under the public hospitals. Due to complications, he died early inside the treatment. So it's only a few months he started treatment that unfortunately a complication came out along, and then he passed away. Uh, but that could be very expensive. He drags on for one or two years. Uh, so that that is a that is a, that is a uh, concern that we have. So at one point of time, we are thinking to you no know, sell away the house to finance the treatment or these kind of things. So, so uh, it can happen to anybody. So that is why the first thing that I recommend is always get your health insurance in order. And once that is done, the rest of the things can be manageable. I think the rest of the expenses is manageable. Uh, it's always the healthcare that, that, that is the one that kills. They do not think about it. They think that I'm fully healthy. But
2: once you get sick, there's no, more, there's no turning back already. And especially if you get a disease, it's too late to buy insurance because insurance won't insure you anymore. They will not, yeah, they will not right. sell it to you. Yeah, yeah so that's right. Totally agree with you. So thank you, so much for sharing with us, Uh, taking the time out of your day to share with us your philosophy, what you do. I think it's a very unique point of view, what you do all the way from finance to the creative side. When were you the most uncool and what would you... Say to yourself,
0: okay. I think the most uncool, if you ask my wife, is that when I try to hold her hands the first time, then she slapped my hands away. I think that's quite uncool, although that's between four of us, but we'll be talking about it all the time. Yeah, I think that's quite uncool. <laughs> she said that it's too early to hold hands. I said that it's the third date. Third date is a good time to hold hands. She said, got third date, can hold hands. It's after the fifth or sixth date, then you can hold hands. That's it. No, oh my, God. Oh, my friend that's said third date. That's a board date. game. That's a board game.
1: When do when can I hold your hand? <laughs>
0: No, so, so I will be arguing, right? They say the third day is okay. No, it's, uh, by my standard, third day is not okay. No, sir, I said, third day is okay. We just pull our friends. Uh, yeah, no maybe, yeah. Oh, uh, my wife is shouting from the top. Yeah, okay, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> she disagree.
1: So, what would you say to your past self and to your most
0: uncool self? Uh, third date, Uh, she get away. Just grab her hand and hold. Uh, that we expedite <laughs> okay. the process. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you so much, you. <laughs> okay. So, um if to our listeners out there if they want to follow you and they, they want to follow your socials, and they want to follow Capital Gain Studio, uh where can our listeners do that?
0: Uh, you can uh, check out our website at uh, www.capitalgainsgroup.com uh, and you can find everything. Or if you really are too lazy, you can Google my name, Zero Lai. I think my name is Googleable because it's, so, yeah, it's so It's so weird that uh, I think uh, I, every time I go for email, I could get it because nobody had a, such a weird name. Uh, I don't even put uh, my birthday behind the, the name. That's what we do every time for our emails. Yeah. So 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 yeah. That that is an easy way to look for look for us. And
1: all, all your legendary games, of course, are available uh, for sale.
0: Yeah, you can find it at all the cafes and uh, at, uh some of it is at the uh, at T O C and Seven uh, Eleven. Yeah. Yeah, and all, and of course, leading bookshops. Um, yep, bookshops.
2: And if you want to hear more from our other guests coming up on our new episodes or catch up on our old episodes, drop us a like and remember to click follow on our podcast.
1: Tell your friends about us, drop us a five star rating, and do it no worries because it is cool to be uncool. Like this show? Then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast by Creatives at Work. It is produced, written and hosted by Sean Lee Wenchong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim and edited by Ray Ung. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. On the next episode of Uncool, we have our very own race driver and I uh, one of the first female race drivers in Asia, Claire Jedrick. I was always a person that never really had nerves until an hour before. It's like any sport, you train and you train and you train and like anything really in your life, it's that 10,000 hour rule. Then of course the pressure is always for that moment, but then you just got to really be in that moment and not think about anything. Uncool, new episodes every Saturday.